Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. A snowy Wednesday in greater Cincinnati from the heart of Hamilton, Ohio. We welcome you to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. That's Eastern Time. You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask you, please subscribe to the program. You can also find us streaming on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page. If you'd prefer to join us in podcast form, search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Coming up in a matter of moments, our buddy Ace Boogie, the saner half of the Cincinnati podcast. So we'll be getting to him in just a second. Bengals begin preparing in earnest today for Sunday's AFC Championship game in Kansas City. Players had the day off yesterday, but now the real work starts. Game planning for Patrick Mahomes, Chad Henney. Cincinnati has beaten the AFC uh, West champ Chiefs three straight times in the last calendar year, including last year's AFC title game that went to overtime. Kansas City is preparing for Patrick Mahomes playing in that game despite the fact that he injured his ankle quite severely last week against Jacksonville, we might know more later today as to what kind of condition that ankle is in. The line on the game, the Bengals are favored by a point and a half. Kickoff 6.30 on CBS. NFC title game can be found on Fox. That's at 3 o'clock on Sunday. Philly and the Niners. Philly a two and a half point favorite. Aaron Rodgers hasn't decided if he's playing next year. But he said yesterday that he understands his contract could be a problem for the Packers or any other team that might try and trade for him. Therefore, he's open to redoing the deal. In baseball, congrats to former Red Scott Rowland. He was elected to baseball's Hall of Fame by the narrowest of margins last night. The seven-time All-Star got 76% of the ballots cast in his sixth year of eligibility. 75% is needed to get in. Just missing was Todd Helton, formerly of Colorado. He got 72%. The next three in order were Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, and Gary Sheffield. Talked about Jeff Kent unbelievably yesterday. Only 46% of the vote. College hoops last night. Ohio State continues to struggle, losing to Illinois. Buckeyes are 11-9 on the year and in serious danger of not making the tournament. Ohio University beat Western Michigan. Kentucky starting to play better. Beat Vanderbilt last night. Wildcats now 14-6. Miami falls to Akron. Number 11 TCU just demolished Oklahoma. Number 12 Iowa State beat number 5 Kansas State 80-76. A big one tonight for Xavier in the Big East. The number 13 Muskies travel to number 19 UConn. The Muskies beat them early in the year at Cintas 83-73, and Dayton plays tonight at Rhode Island. All right, let's get right to it. Many in the chat, let's get to our buddy, Ace Boogie. Now, he's not going to be the wild man that Zim Houday is partner in crime on Winsinati, the podcast is. Ace Boogie, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us on short notice. I know you're a working man. you got lots of meetings today. Tell me your early thoughts about this Bengals-Kansas City clash on Sunday. I feel very good about it, and I think that the Bengals should feel very confident about it. This is a team that they're very familiar with. 
And now you have not only that, a Pat Mahomes that's coming into this game with one leg. I think they almost – I feel like they almost lost to the Jaguars. So I think things are definitely sliding in the Bengals' favor with this matchup as it's coming up. All right, now you are a guy that watches a lot of a game film. All 22 stuff, you like to break stuff down. Um, it's been noted – uh, the style of defense the Bengals have played against Kansas City in the past. They'll drop guys deep. They'll let them get their yards, but then really shut it down inside the red zone. Okay, that worked the last three times. Right. Conceivably, Mahomes is not going to be the guy that can run around a lot. I made note yesterday that he threw more passes outside the pocket than any quarterback in the NFL so far this year. Do you suspect that the game plan or strategy – of Lou Anarumo changes knowing that they know that you know, right? And also knowing that Mahomes may be limited in some of the things he can do. Yeah, I definitely think that they will switch it up for sure. I think the Jags defensive coordinator, he did a misservice last week of not really sending that blitz and sending that pressure to test that ankle. I think Lou will. We saw Lou do some things against Josh Allen where he took some of the guys like Mike Hilton, gave them uh, super depth on that and still sent the blitz from that angle. I think that you'll see that for sure. I think that they'll still rush four. I think that they'll drop eight. But I think when they get into the third downs, possibly the fourth downs, I think you will see them go after Pat Mahomes. Uh, now, you don't really want to blitz Pat Mahomes, but that's 100% healthy Pat Mahomes. As you said, he gets out of the pocket. I don't think he can do that with the ankle. So I think that Lou in this defense definitely will test that ankle and definitely will send some pressure and switch it up. All right, let's shift over to the Bengals on offense. Much was made last week before the game. Three new starters along the offensive line from the, you know, the quintet that they started 15 games to begin the year, and then guys start dropping. It looks like it's going to be the same five again. When you went back, and look, and we can look at pro football focus, and they have their opinion on things, on how they grade players. What did you like? Let's start with Jackson Carmen. What did you like about his game on Sunday? Jackson Carmen was super physical. I think that that's something that really stuck out to me when you look at the film, the power that he played with, the way he was aggressive. He was what Frank Pollock said that he's looking for, a glass eater. And I felt like it was a lot more solid than what we've seen at Jonah. Obviously, Jonah is battling that injury, has done that for the most part of this year. But I really thought that I liked that. I also liked the athleticism, how they used Hakeem Adeniji's athleticism to pull and set him up in situations where he's actually one-on-one -on -one with the safety or, or a linebacker. So I really liked what those three starters did. And I felt that these guys are not like fifth and sixth round picks, guys that are bums or anything like that. Jackson Carmen was the second overall or second round pick for a reason. And, you know, now he's back home at his natural position. Looks very comfortable. Could say the same about Hakeem Adenergy. He Last year he was playing out of position. Now he's back at tackle. He looks more comfortable. Uh, so I think that all of those guys, even Sharpen, a lot of those guys looked a lot better on film. I know some people are going to say, hey, it was in the snow. I just think that these guys are focused. Frank Pollock has them playing the right way, and they're going to play AFC North football. It really reminds me very similar to the Browns a few years ago with the offensive line where they just put their hands on you, mauled you, pancaking guys, being aggressive. And I think that we'll see that again this week from them. Now, we got differing opinions from a couple of our guests yesterday as to, you know, the front seven comparing Kansas City's defense to Buffalo's defense. Now, 
we're talking about without Von Miller, okay, because he didn't play last week. He's been out for a long time with an ACL injury. When you look at Buffalo's defense compared to Kansas City's defense, I don't care about the stats. I'm just curious when you look at them. The easy thing to do because of the stats is to say that Buffalo's a better defense. Do you buy that? Uh, I don't buy that. I think Buffalo isn't the same defense. I mean, this was a team that let Skylar Thompson put up 20-something points on them. I think that the Chiefs actually have a slightly better defense. I think the rookie uh, McBride is, is playing pretty good. I think that they also have another rookie corner over there that's playing pretty solid. Or McDuffie, I said McBride. McDuffie is playing well. I think when you look at the defensive line, I don't think Buffalo had a Chris Jones. Uh, so Chris Jones is playing at an all-pro level this year. I know we've had success against Chris Jones, but that's still a guy that you have to account for. You also have Carlos Dunlap as well. I think that they probably have a little bit of more of a dangerous defensive line. I'm not a believer in Frank Clark. I think that's one of the weak spots there. Uh, but then they also have uh, big rookies that are really stepping up this season. So you even look at the linebackers. The linebackers are pretty good and athletic as well. I would probably say that the Chiefs slightly have a better defense, uh, but I still think that it's a defense that the Cincinnati offense can definitely have success against for sure. Do, do you believe, based on what you said a little while ago and guys getting physical, uh, it, it sounds like you believe the Bengals are going to uh, try to have, you know, I mean, every coach says it, but the Bengals in a lot of games have not been a balanced offensive team. I mean, obviously they play great offensive football and the numbers speak for themselves. But do you suspect it's going to be really cold, there's a chance it could snow, all those kinds of things. Um, do you feel like their approach will be they can have success running it against Kansas City like they did against Buffalo last week? Oh, definitely. I mean, the first time they played them, so my JP Ryan went off in that game. They've got two guys, like you said, Joe Mixon. Uh, he did his thing last week. I still see them doing that because when you get into the playoffs, you have to be able to establish the run and run the ball, right? Uh, so I think him and Samaje P. Ryan definitely will be a part of the game plan. I definitely think it will be balanced. And these guys are going to make big plays in this game for sure. I, right before the Bills game, when I saw that snow, I was like, Joe Mixon is going to have him a day, ends up with 105 yards. I could see something very similar. And the thing that they did last week was they did play balance. They passed, but they also established a run uh, because when you want to take control of a game and you want to control the time of possession, especially in that weather, and you want to limit turnovers, running the ball is definitely going to help. And I think that Joe Mixon and Samaje Piran this week are definitely going to be a big part of that game plan. I'm kind of curious because, you know, I, uh, you, you, your, your partner in crime, uh, Zim, yesterday, I mean, went off on your guy, Chris Jones. I mean, you know, like you said, the Bengals have had success. And, yeah, he called the guy trash. But Jones has been a pretty good player uh, in this league. I know you're shaking your head. I was, too. We get a kick out of Zim, obviously. I'm curious, though. You know, I, I'm not a big social media guy. You and Zim are, are big on Twitter and, 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 and doing your podcasts and all this kind of thing. I got to tell you, I, there's a part of me when, when I'm looking at some of this stuff, though, that feels like, and I know Eli Apple is, is the focal point of a lot of this, um, but it just seems like there's a lot of smack talking going on here. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that's a good thing or whether you're like, hey, the guys are confident and they believe they're going to go in there and win the game. How do you read that? You're on social media all the time. 
Yeah, I, I would probably say there's a confidence for Bengals fans just because of Joe Burrow. Uh, we know what this game means. We know uh, from everything that the media said about us, the people on Twitter. People on Twitter talked crazy about the Bengals as well, said that we wouldn't uh, make it back to the Super Bowl. We wouldn't make the playoffs. Uh, Chiefs fans, it's been kind of like that with them since we beat them last year. A lot of them feel like because the games have been close, uh, they feel like they could have gone other ways. There was a lot of talk about crowd noise. Now for them, they are looking at it as a revenge game. So there is a lot of trash being talked between the Bengals fans and the Chiefs fans. Uh, but there's also a respect there. Like, yeah, there is trash talk, but when you jump into these Twitter spaces and you kind of talk, it's, there's a mutual respect because these two teams are the teams in the AFC, and there's a belief, even under the trash talk, that these teams are going to be duking it out possibly for the next decade, especially when you have Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot of trash talking between the two teams. But I think it's more so from Bengals fans' aspect as confidence, the Chiefs fans, they feel like, you know, this is going to be their time to get their revenge. But they, they're they not really realizing that the Bengals are up for this game because we lost in the Super Bowl and they want to get back there. And with them being one game from out of that, man, there's no – I don't think that there's another team that wants it that bad. If there's one area uh, in your game film watching where you say this worries me about Kansas City, it would be what? Kansas City, I would probably say, probably go with uh, Pat Mahomes just being able to dissect the defense when you do send the blitz. Like him being able to find the open guy, Travis Kelsey, possibly. That's one guy that you definitely want to keep your eyes on. You're going to want to try to limit him as well. When you look at the run game, Pacheco's a pretty solid running back. Yep. You know, a lot, a lot of people really talk about him. Pacheco is a guy that they've got to get down. Another guy, I'll tell you, too, another secret weapon, Jared McKinnon. Like, no one talks about Jared McKinnon, yep. but this guy's got, like, five or more touchdowns or something like that. Him out of the backfield, I think, is definitely something that you need to watch for. On defense, I would probably say Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones, you just got to make sure that you continue to limit him. And I remember him speaking before the Bengals played them the last game, and he talked about still remembering that Joe Burrow play so definitely keeping Chris Jones in check on defense for sure. Well, you know, when you talk about McKinnon, it's interesting you bring him up because I've talked about him frequently on this show even before he won, and people forget. He was the AFC's Offensive Player of the Month in the month of December. I mean, he really stepped up and became a huge force in a Kansas City offense that's primarily known, almost exclusively known, as being a pass-first offense, and they are. Um but McKinnon has overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of injuries in his career. You know, I, I've always felt, I don't know if you agree with me on this or, or, or not, Ace Boogie, but I, I have always been concerned this entire year about the Bengals' run defense. Now, a lot of people say Baltimore is unique in their run game, and I think that's true. I, I think they have an extremely unique run game compared to other teams around the league. But, but, but there are times this year when I think that this Bengals defense has been susceptible uh, to a good run team. And Kansas City ran the ball well against the Bengals when they wanted to run the ball earlier this season, right? Yes, they did. I think it was – they really felt like that last game when we played them in the AFC Championship that Andy Reid didn't run the ball enough, especially with them having a lead. I think that you'll definitely see them commit to the run. 
I will say I do agree with the sentiment that the Ravens are a running team that's in their DNA. There's different things that they do with different heavy sets when you talk about 12 and all of that with jumbo packages to bring guys in to help them block. So I think it won't look like that. But sometimes I almost feel like the Bengals and Lou, they kind of make it seem like you can get rushing yards on them. And then when it comes down to like a third down or when they really need it, he seems to really get in his bag and and really – trick them so i think the biggest thing though dj reader that man is a, a running game wrecking ball himself so i think once they've kind of fill it out there will be opportunities i think like you said and rightfully so where the chiefs may have some lanes to get some yards but once the Bengals kind of figure them out and make those adjustments i think that they'll be fine and it really depends on if the Bengals try to get out to a lead in this game it's almost going to force the chiefs to really start to pass. So if this game is close, the run game is going to be a factor and it is something that they're going to have to stop. Uh, so I do agree with you on that. I think that the defense for the most part is pretty good. They do have kind of weird moments where it's like, how did that guy get eight yards on that play? But I think for the most part, they are a pretty solid unit. And I think that they should have some uh, some decent performance against the Chiefs running offense. You know, there, there was an article written um, uh, in Yahoo Sports today about the Bengals becoming uh, sort of the, the villain looking forward in, in, in future years uh, in, in the AFC and in the NFL. Uh, you know, I don't think that's such a bad thing. I, I mean, I think everybody looked at New England as being a villain forever and a day with Brady and Belichick, and all they did was go win Super Bowls and kick people's tail week in and week out year after year after year after year. I think it's a compliment. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, being the villain means that you're the villain for a reason. You were successful. Uh, You're the team that everybody wants to beat. You're the team that no one wants to admit is that good. And I think that that's what the Bengals have become. You know, you see the people talking about Eli Apple on Twitter, people that have attacked him and and stuff like that. Then he kind of trolls them back a little bit. And then, you know, when all of this stuff went down with the seating, nobody really cared outside of Bengals fans that they got uh, the short end of that stick. So, yeah, I'm good with being the villain. It's fine, uh, especially on Twitter, as you talked about earlier. Bengals fans, a lot of the other fans tried to call us delusional, thought we were too confident, too cocky. And really, it was just a belief in our team because we just watched this team from week to week, analyzed them. We know how good they are. So I agree with you. Yeah, if you want to sign me up, for being the Patriots, yeah, I'm good with that. I mean, how much how much hardware did they end up with? <laughs> yeah, a lot. You know, I, look at the end of the day, Ace. Uh, you know, I, I I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think the way we've watched this team this year, and we know the way it started out the first two games, and then the way it's gone from there to only have lost two games since then. Uh, and they could have easily won one of those other two games, especially the Baltimore game. I mean, they got drilled against Cleveland, but that's 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 Halloween night. This is just a really good Bengals team. I I, I found the comments from uh, Brendan Bean, the general manager of the uh, Buffalo Bills. I don't know if you saw them or heard them. He came out and talked about it length yesterday. Yeah, he said the Bengals, it's sort of dismissively. Yeah, the Bengals are a good team, but they're not facing the challenges that we face. Uh, They have Burrow, they have Chase uh, on rookie contracts, which is true. Uh, They don't have Allen and Diggs on rookie contracts. And he said, you know, they had to really stink to be able to get those two guys where they got them in the draft. But, but, but it just seems like, you know, 
there are a lot of people, for whatever reason, just looking to take shots at this team when at the end of the day, this is a really good team. And there are a lot of people out there that really like watching this team, not just the Bengals, but football fans across the country. Yeah, for sure. It's an exciting team to watch, and you have to give that credit to Duke Tobin in that front office. I mean, these guys, whether they were drafting in the 20s or in the top 10, they've always been great at drafting. I mean, you talk about Joe Mixon in the second round. There's countless guys. Cordell Volson this year uh, in the later rounds, they get a starting guard that by some metrics, some people consider him an all-pro, all-rookie uh, from the, the type of season that he's had. But it's really just something that the Bengals have always done well. They've always drafted well. This isn't yep. something new. I mean, when you talk about A.J. Green, you talk about Andy Dalton, um, no matter how you feel about those guys, they were great draft picks. Carlos Dunlap, like, for me, it's just kind of a it's just kind of an excuse. Like, yeah, you don't want to be top five, but the Bengals have found plenty of talent outside of those guys. And the Bengals before that, they weren't drafting in the top five for majority of uh, this decade and the past decade. So that was the first time with Joe Burrow that they'd have a, had a number one overall pick since Carson Palmer. And then the top five pick with Chase. It's not like we're the Browns. It's not like we were picking multiple first round picks and in the top five every year. Like, that's not what this team is. This team is very exciting. I think, like you said, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're some of the biggest guys that connect with the youth. Uh, you see all of these kids grigging. They're just a fun team to watch. I mean, T. Higgins, all of these weapons that they have, people love offense, offense sells tickets, and the fact that they were able to get a lot of those guys from that 2020 National Championship game I think has a lot to do with it. But just a credit to Duke Tobin in that front yeah. office for having an exciting football team, which we've always had in Cincinnati. It's always at least been exciting, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ace, I know you got meetings uh, for your real job out there. Uh, when are you and your guy back at it on uh, on Wincinnati? Yes, sir. We will be back tomorrow, Thursday, 730 Eastern Standard Time on YouTube on the Wincinnati pod. We are working on possibly having a surprise guest, so you'll be able to catch us there. Thank How you about again that? for having surprise. me. Surprise. There you have it. There you have it. Ace, thanks. We'll try and keep your guy calm down. We'll keep your guy. It's nice to have some sanity in the house for a change from the Wincinnati pod. <laughs> Ace, have a great day, man. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You too. All right. Ace Boogie. Like that guy. He's awesome. He, you, know, he, you know, I can't remember because it's been so long. I, I can't remember the, the, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, which one was the, 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 the calm one and which one was the insane one. It's been so long. You guys know. You probably you don't even do you know think that. we movie. do literature? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. But, I mean, it's a thousand years ago. I did. I read that in freshman year of high school yeah I think. yeah that's what i'm saying yeah. but i mean he is certainly the alter ego to zim Hude, right that's why they have a great podcast yeah great podcast uh by the way um it was released a little while ago some may have seen it cbs sports the final adjusted nielsen data shows the bengals bills divisional playoff game last sunday averaged 39.32 million viewers for the mid-afternoon kickoff time. That made it the most watched AFC division round broadcast on record ever in the early window. Now, I have always said there was a time, in fact, um, um, it was 41 years ago. Is that what it was? Yesterday? When the Bengals lost to the 49ers in the Super Bowl. 
First time the Bengals went to the Super Bowl up in Pontiac, Michigan. There was a long time where that was the most watched Super Bowl in television sports history. Now, San Francisco is a big market. It wasn't as big back then as it is now. I mean, talking the early 80s, San Francisco had not really exploded. Uh, and Cincinnati is roughly about the same, maybe even a little bit less uh, as far as the market size than it was back then. It's certainly less than it was as a market size back then. I, I have long uh, disagreed with the thinking of a lot of uh, television executives that you have to have these monster market teams to have high television ratings. Totally disagree with it. Uh, it. It's nice to have one of the two teams. Last year, you know, you had the Rams, L.A., although, you know, I, I don't know L.A.'s appetite for football. Nonetheless, L.A. and then you had Cincinnati being a top 32, 34 market, whatever it is. I, I think it has to do with the players, and I think it has to do with the storylines, right? I think if Buffalo would have made it, I think a lot of people would watch the whole Hamlin story, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Kansas City. They've got the big star quarterback. They've got a Hall of Fame tight end. They've got a Hall of Fame coach. They're going to be people who watch it. But nobody is more watchable right now than the Bengals. They have the star quarterback. They call him Joe Cool. They've got all the weapons. They've got a team that just plays with an intensity and a fire and the coaching staff and, and the way they play, their style of play. I just think that it, 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 if I was a TV executive, and I'm not, um, and, and I had rooting interest in this game, Fox has a Super Bowl, I would be rooting for the Bengals to win this game. I think they have more TV draw star power. Now, they don't have them at Mahomes. I think Burrow's a better player than Mahomes. That's not what I mean. But Mahomes is a, a more household name. All the commercials, it seems like it never ends, right? Kelsey, certainly uh, a bigger name right now than Jamar Chase. Right now. That's not going to last very long, but a bigger name. And Andy Reid is certainly 10 times a bigger name, if you're into coaches, uh, than Zach Taylor. But... I would want the Bengals in that Super Bowl if I was Fox. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And regardless of how you feel about the Chiefs team in general, whether you think they're good or not, I think people, if you were to do a poll, the consensus would be that they're tired of the Chiefs. Whereas the Bengals have just now kind of hit their stride and they're just now getting into the limelight. And the majority of America, I think, would rather see the Bengals be successful than the Chiefs again. I, I think that's a reasonable and, and, and quanti I think you could actually quantify it. I really do. Well, look back at what happened with the Warriors in the NBA. The Warriors were a team that everybody loved in the very beginning because they changed the way we played basketball. They completely reinvented a sport that had been around for a century. They shot threes. They were exciting. They had a smaller lineup. They did things differently. And they won, and they won huge, and they were there every year. And then all of a sudden, they kept winning, and they kept winning, and it was the same thing. It was always the Warriors in the finals. And everybody got sick of them. Yep. Everybody got tired of Draymond Green. Everybody got tired of the shtick. Everybody got tired of hearing about everything the Warriors were doing. 
Then the Warriors went away for a couple of years. Now they're back. They win the title last year. And I think collectively a lot of people were rooting for the Warriors last year because it was fun again to watch them play after they had been back in the shadows for two or three years with Clay Hurt and everybody else. I'm not saying that the Chiefs are going to go down and then rise back up. My point is there is just fatigue that you get when teams are constantly right. – it's the Patriots, it's the Chiefs. You just get fatigued of seeing the same people and the same act and the same thing over and over. And the more that these players or coaches or whoever are exposed to the media and exposed to public opinion, the more that you get to know them, the more you might start to learn things or hear things from them that you might not like. Well, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, you know, I, I, I used to have this conversation, you know, and, and look, I, I'm as guilty as, as falling into this trap as anybody. Um, so call me a hypocrite. Uh, I, I, I think that, uh, that you're spot on on that. I think there were a lot of people in this country that got really turned off. You talk about another NBA team. I think there are a lot of people really turned off on Greg Popovich. They're tired of hearing him have an opinion on everything in the world. And he's allowed to have it. And Steve Kerr, the same thing. There are people that agree with a lot of things he has to say. There are a lot of people that don't agree with a lot of things he has to say. And I think after a while, you mix in the Draymond Green stuff. His act got tired in a hurry. I'll take him on my team all day, every day. Up until, let me correct that. I would have taken him on my team all day, every day, until he punches his teammate in the face. For me, his ass is out the door. Right there and then. It goes to show you, right? Kerr's a hypocrite. It goes to show you that that winning is everything. But how much did the, the 90s Bulls do that and we just didn't see it because the, the practice tape didn't get? Well, I- irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We never saw it. The point is we saw Draymond Green and we've caught his act for a long, long time. All right? Yeah. And like I said, don't get me wrong. I would have taken him on my team all day, every day. I think you got to have those guys. You know, Rodman was that kind of guy. Enforcer, tough, little nasty. Nobody nastier in the old days in the Pistons. Lame beer and that whole crowd. You got to have one or two of those guys on your team if you want to be a good team in any sport, right? All these guys aren't choir boys. But you can't stop dropping teammates in the middle of practice. That can't happen. But Kerr looks the other way, spends him a few games. Back he comes. Another title run. Here we go. But the Bengals have a little bit of that in them, right? I mean, before it was Vontez Perfect and, and Pac-Man Jones, right? When they had those good teams that could never win a playoff game. Uh, they cleared everybody out. Now they've got Apple. You know, he's become sort of the focal point of this whole thing. But then you got a lot of guys that aren't afraid. You just lay it out there. Hayden Hurst, he'll just lay it out there. Joe Mixon lays it out there. Burrow in a different sort of way, but Burrow lays it out there. He does. Yeah. He does. We actually have a tweet right now. Pull it up, Casey. I'm glad that we're talking about this. Yeah, pull this one up. The NFL just tweeted this out. Listen to this. This is a mic'd up from Joe Burrow. Up fakes to the right. Now throws to the end zone. Caught by Hayden Hurst. Touchdown. him that's joe burrow <laughs> hey that's what you want the guy to think right right yeah, yeah. i mean you, you want a guy walking around head down 
you know, not thinking he's the man. You got to. What did Ric Flair used to say? The wrestler. Yeah. What did he used to say about the man? You want to be the man? What what, what did he used to say? Oh, somebody in our chat knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah, The the '90s wrestling fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, mean, you know, look. um, Joe Burrow, Tom. Where where are we at on Joe Burrow here? To be the man, you got to beat the man, says Sir Boy Wonder. That's right. And to be the man, Joe Burrow, he's got to beat the man. Patrick Mahomes, I don't care what he's done up to this point. For those people that get coming back to this stuff, 3-0, the last time I checked, Casey, correct me if I'm wrong, the Bengals were behind in every one of those games. Two of the three by double digits. Seven points this year with Kansas City on the move, and the strip by Pratt of Kelsey changed the whole game. So let's not act like this has been a tail kicking every time they play. It hasn't been. You want to be the man? You got to beat the man. And right now, Mahomes is still the man. Eh, get the buzzer on that one. Okay. Guy's only been to uh, five straight AFC championship games every year as a starter. Oh, well, give He's Joe only Burrow. been to five of them. Give I Joe mean, you know, shame on him. Give Joe Burrow. He's only five, won a Super Bowl and been to two of them. Straight. Shame on him. As Ric Flair said, as we take this toss to the Ham and Eggers, you want to be the man? You got to beat the man. Ham and Eggers. (laughs) It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, Casey, what do you got for me today? Well, yesterday on Not Too Picky, Yes. I gave out my picks. And if you followed the 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 Clippers Lakers, you actually won some money. Congrats, oh. everyone, whoever watched that and followed that. Um, however, <laughs> last night, I was going back and forth between picking the oh, Clippers no. and the Lakers. Back and forth, back and forth. I was like, ah, oh, man, that's... I was looking at our system, and it was screaming Clippers. Clippers, Clippers, Clippers. But it had been doing a little rough as of late. And I was like... The system had. The system. And I was like, ah, oh, I got to... I'm going to take I'm gonna take LeBron on this one. And his, just, point, oh, his point smacked. His point smacked. The, the, that, was, that was great. He had over 30, right? He had 40... He had 47, maybe? 46. It was the last... I hadn't looked at the box score. I just it saw was, that... It, yeah, so so I watched because I had Kawhi over twenty points as the last leg of a parlay that I had, uh, and and that hit that was that scary because he had I think twelve or fourteen at halftime. I yeah. think he had fourteen at halftime. Kawhi did, and it was the last leg of of a parlay that we needed. I think you were on this parlay too, right? I think so. The four legger, maybe not. I don't know. The calling our shot one, the 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 ladder challenge one. No, I was no, you not weren't. On okay. That. Uh, so it was the last leg of a four-leg parlay. Kawhi had 14 at halftime, but the Clippers were up by like 20 something. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, "Was the NBA? If they're if they go up by 35, he's going to sit the fourth quarter. So we need this. So he gets to 18. He gets to 18. I need it over 19 and a half. He gets to 18, and then they separated themselves. And I'm going, "Oh my god! Like, is he going to sit this out? No, he didn't sit out." Because, thank God, LeBron took off in the fourth quarter. They got it back to, I think, like 10 or 11. 
I think it was the last team in the NBA that LeBron had not scored 40 points against. He scored 40 at least, I think, 46 or 47 last night. He has now scored 40 points against every team in the NBA. It's incredible. Yeah, and he's closing in on the NBA scoring record, too. Yeah. I know, I know, Tom. We don't talk a ton of NBA with, with Tom around here, so I guess the Ham and Eggers segment is is our college basketball and NBA segment of the show. <laughs> well, we're going to talk more about the NBA when football's done and, and college basketball. But yeah, man, I I stupidly picked the Lakers in that parlay, so I lost out. But I'm hoping the people that watch, not too picky. We didn't post it on the Discord like we said we were going to. If you just took that parlay, you're up. So. Congrats if you if you did take it. If not, I'm sorry. And I also have to give a special apology to Nathan Hines, who I gave the Lakers in that parlay to, because he asked for that parlay and I sent him what I put down. So Clippers rolled. The Nathan. Clippers I'm rolled. so sorry, Nathan. Yeah, I, I really am. I gotta give him ten bucks. <laughs> Tom, uh, it's it's a snow day today. So uh, my girlfriend's in the chat. She was the one that convinced me to get this haircut. And uh, Lizzie's in the chat today on a snow day from the uh, from teaching the kids. You know, I, I, I got to tell you. I, Here we go. It's so funny you bring this up. Now, it's my understanding our superintendent, who does a phenomenal job, is out of town this week. He's at some conference. Okay, and he's the guy that makes a call about snow days. I don't know how it works. She's at CPS. Is that right? No, no, no. She, she teaches at a small Catholic school over on the okay. west side. Well, I, I should. How did I not know that? Um, but, 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 but seriously, now it's different for the rural schools, okay, where kids are traveling from miles and miles on county roads. Uh, I always think of kids uh, that I see when I'm on the highway and kids on school buses. I never grew up like that. Most of you did not grow up like that. Um, and so when you have weather situations like we've had, I get it. But then there are other situations, like where our kids go to school. Half the kids walk there. Half might be a stretch, let's say a third. The other two-thirds are less than two miles away. It's a public school, okay? Less than two miles away. School was called off last night at 9 o'clock. I was at a high school basketball game. Marymont played at St. X last night. How'd they do? Not well. I mean, we're not supposed to do. They hung in there for three quarters and got hammered. Okay. Which I'm going to get back to that in a second, too. But, <laughs> but I mean, I get up this morning... And I say, okay, because we weren't sure if we were coming in, depending on, on how the weather went. We were going to do the show remotely. And I look out the window, and the street outside of just being wet, right, is, I mean, you can see the black top from one end to the other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. North, yeah. south, east, west. There it is. Nothing on the, on the, and I'm like, okay, shower up, shave, let's get ready to drive up to Hamilton. And I'm thinking to myself, you have got to be kidding me. All of these school districts called off last night at 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock in some cases. Not rural schools. We're talking about public schools where a lot of the kids are right in the hood. I mean, what the hell is going on around here? Well, look, Tom. Isn't seriously. It, well, come on. I mean, I mean seriously. 
Most of the people watching this show grew up in an area that gets snow like we live in or, or they grew up right here in Cincinnati. Can you ever remember getting a snow day like this today? But sometimes it you, didn't snow. Sometimes you just need an off day. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good by that. I got no problem <laughs> with that. I'm okay by that. But I mean, come on. Sometimes you just, you know, the snow's in the forecast. The school districts haven't used snow days yet this year. Chalk it up. Give the kids a day off. You know what's BS? I want to say this. You know what's total BS? There's two things that are BS. One is that these kids these days don't get to see the Oh, schools. now you're dropping these kids Well, these they don't get days. to see the little, like, the, the NFL draft ticker at the oh, bottom yes. of their schools. Yeah. They don't have yeah. to sit there and wait on I local agree. news. That's just sad that, I they, agree. that these kids don't get that experience. And two, these kids also, because of COVID, something that COVID really screwed up for this generation of, of primary and, and grade school kids, is that now on snow days, these poor kids have e-learning days. Oh. So where you think that you're going to go out and make snowmen all day, your school district or your school, wherever you go, might give you an e-learning day, and you got to sit there behind a screen or, like, listen to your teacher. No, the teachers don't want to teach. Give the teachers a day off, too. Give everybody a day off. It's a snow day. Uh, yeah, it's I, National I, 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 Holiday. I, I, I'm with you a thousand percent. Well, come on. So if you're going to get the day off, get the day off, right? Yeah. Get the day off. Teachers included. Yes. Right. Teachers, Teachers deserve included. a day off. Teachers I mean, dealing with these munchkins all day long. No doubt give about it. Give a day off. I am with you all the way. A day off should be a day off. End of story. I want to circle back real quick to this, this basketball game last night. Okay, now I go to a lot of high school sports. Both of my kids play high school sports, um, multiple high school sports. And, and I love the sport of basketball. But I got to tell you. Uh, and look, I know, I, I think I was counting up on the board. It really is amazing. Uh, St. Xavier High School. Now, 36 of the 70, was it 36? Trying to remember the, the as I'm looking at the banners last night. Over half of the state championships won in all sports by St. Xavier. Over half are in swimming, where they are the powerhouse swimming program in the United States of America. Not even close. There is nowhere in the United States even close to the swimming program they have at St. Xavier. And they're great in everything. I mean, they, they really are. It's amazing. They've won, I think I counted if I did it right. I think, because there were a lot to count. I think they had 70 state championships, 36 of the 70, barely over half, uh, were in swimming. Um, but when the teams lined up at roughly the free throw line on their respective ends of the floor for the national anthem, and at St. X Games, which I love, they say a prayer before the game, I think it's fantastic. Um, you're not offending anybody. Um, when they play the national anthem and the kids are lined up on the St. X team and then they go in the starting lineups and they say, and the head coach is assisted by St. Xavier's basketball team, which is by far and away their worst sport of all the sports they have at that school. That is the, wor the least successful sport that they have is basketball. They can't beat Elder, and they can't beat Moeller, right? Now, you've had years here and there, but, I mean, it, it's by far compared to swimming, compared to lacrosse, compared to any number of other sports they have over there, 
okay? Football. They have seven assistant coaches for the basketball team. Seven assistant coaches under the head coach of the basketball team. They damn near have an assistant coach for almost every player that is sitting on the bench once the five who are in the game are out on the floor. Some of them have There's your hard-earned tuition money. Going to seven assistant coaches and a head coach. Do some of them have a different? Now, if you had if you had them in football, uh, they probably have. If they have seven in basketball, Steve Speck must have fifteen assistant coaches minimum of the football program. I couldn't believe it. I mean, God bless them. Good for them. I just couldn't believe it. There's, I, I have not been to a high school basketball game, Moeller included. Moeller doesn't have seven assistant coaches. I've never seen anything like it. Here's what I'll say. I, I was a play-by-play broadcaster for Cuffcath for a few years. Um, a few years ago, I was at Xavier. And uh, what they would do, um, what Scott Rusatz would do down there is they, I guess, announced them as assistant coaches. But, like, he would have the freshman coach and the JV coaches well, sit on the varsity of course, bench. Of course. Every and, school does but they would, Yeah, but they would announce them as assistants. Was it, was it one of those situations? Well, I, I mean, I can't speak. I, I have no doubt that that's, that's true. But the point I'm making is every other school that I go see play, now most of them are in Division Three, Division Four, Division Five, rather than D1. Uh, but, but, but that's the same with everything. So like the Marymount coach last night, David Caldwell, he's got himself – He's got an assistant for the varsity. He has a JV head coach, and then he has the freshman head coach, right? Yeah. Because they play boom, 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 back to back to back. Um, and, and so you have a total of four. St. X had eight, including the head coach. Eight. I couldn't believe it. Well, think about how much sports have changed. I mean, just in the last 20, 30 years. Think back, like, to the Bengals. Or, Forget the Bengals. Any NFL team. The first time you got your three, your first three hundred pound offensive lineman, right? And now it's just become if, if it that's that's light on the standard and how things have evolved now in sports and and specializing in sports even down to the youth level and all this training and everything else that all these sports have now zeroed in on and I guess that's another step in it. I tell you, it is amazing um, because, you know, at a school like Marymount or a school like Wyoming or some of you know, these, these schools that all play in the CHL Cincinnati Hills League, uh, you, you don't see it because of the, just the sheer numbers. Uh, St. X had five guys on that team last night, but three in particular that I guess are unbelievable football players. These guys are all sophomores, and they were minimum – Six five two thirty. One of them is the son of Alex Solstead. He was a great player at Miami of Ohio and then played in the NFL as a backup offensive lineman for the Bengals for many, many years. His son is only a sophomore, and I guess he's one of the best football players in the state, going to be recruited by everybody. To watch this young man run around on the court last night, as big as he is, and I just couldn't believe it, how big these guys are. Um, and to run around with the athleticism that they run around with is just mind-boggling. Um, okay, a couple of things I want to get to since we're on the topic of basketball, Paul. A very big game for your Xavier Musketeers tonight. 
Um, they are taking on UConn. The Muskies are ranked 13th. UConn is ranked 19th. They played earlier this year, not too long ago, at Centos in a game won by Xavier. I believe it was 83-73. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, yep. Yeah, 10-point win. How in the world, explain this to me, other than any other reason, than the reason I gave you two days ago when we argued like madmen, how in the world, on the matchup predictor, would UConn have an 82.3% chance to win and Xavier be at 17.7% chance to win? Besides the fact that one team is at home. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think home court advantage is a big deal okay. in college, as we know, and especially playing at Gamble, which is a much smaller, more intimate setting than some other uh, facilities. But if you remember back to that game against Connecticut on New Year's Eve, that game was tied at 71 with less than four minutes to go in the game. That was a close back-and-forth game that Xavier ended up winning by 10. So if you're just looking at the box score and you just see the final score, you're thinking, oh, Xavier blew them out. They won by double digits. And I would argue that Xavier did have control of that game for the entire game. Mm -hmm. UConn was not efficient. They made 13 threes in that game, but they were 13 for 37. And I don't really get – I know that Trace and Reed would probably sit out there and look at the – at the, the betting numbers of this and say that this might be a square pick to pick Xavier in this game. But just looking at it from a basketball perspective, UConn is one of the best matchups in the Big East for Xavier because they don't have a true point guard. And Xavier has really, really struggled this year guarding opposing point guards at, at a massive level. It's a, it's a huge flaw in Xavier's defense right now is how they've been able to defend against opposing point guards or not defend it in that case. And UConn doesn't have one this year. They had R.J. Cole the last few years, who is phenomenal. They don't have that this year. They don't have that guy that the offense flows through like Xavier does in Sule Boom. Now what they do have is two massive big guys and Adama Sonogo, who, might, who was trending to be a player of the year type candidate until UConn fell off. And then Donovan Kling and a new guy for, for UConn this year has really emerged. So as far as the bigs go, Jack Nunji, Zach Fremantle, that's where you're going to have to focus your effort. But – to, to what you were saying, Tom, yes, home court obviously does play a huge factor in college. But the other thing is, this is a game where UConn did not shoot well in the first matchup between these teams. Uh, they have regressed significantly over the last few weeks. They're coming off a 30-point win over Butler, but that doesn't really mean anything because Butler has been terrible this year. Uh, so if you're Xavier, now you go on the road, and if UConn hits their shots... I don't think that this is going to be I, – I, I don't really know where the eight-point spread is coming from. I, I shouldn't say that. I know where it's coming from because it's coming from the predictive uh, computer models of this game saying it's an eight-point game, and then that's where Vegas draws their line from. But it's already been bet down to six and a half. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, st I still see this more as a three- or four-point game. I would, I would – I don't want to say I'd be shocked if Xavier won this game, but uh, I would be – Pleasantly surprised that Xavier won this game. You know, you look inside some of the numbers for this game, and uh, we talked about it the other day. Sean Miller was not happy at all with his team's defense, even in the win over Georgetown, where they gave up 82, they scored 95. Defense is the one significant difference, basically the only significant difference when you look inside the numbers with these two teams. Uh, their rebounds per game, a wash. 
Assists per game, little Xavier, a little bit better. Um, but Z- Xavier scores 84 a game, gives up 75. UConn scores 80 a game, gives up 63. Yeah. My question for you is this. Is Xavier going to have a hard time winning in a tournament because of their lack of defense? We're a long ways off from the tournament, so there are a lot of things that Sean Miller can do, and we are huge fans of Sean Miller as a coach on this program. Um, and he's a great coach. There's no debate about it. But when, when, when you're allowing 75, can you count on neutral floor? Can you count on scoring 75 or more against better competition? Good competition. I think so. I think we have a big enough sample size now that that was the narrative earlier in the season about this team and whether they could do that. I think we have a big enough sample size with the offense right now that we know 18 games into this season, 19 games, however many games, I think 19 games into the season, that we know, okay, hey, they've done it enough that now being the, I think, fifth best offensive team in the country is what seventh best right now offensive team in the country. You know, I – I think they can. Xavier has played three neutral court games already this season. One of them offensively did not go well, um, but two of them they played very well uh, offensively. And I, I again, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but I do think that there's enough that we've seen from Xavier um, to to be able to get that. And the, Dayton plays tonight too. I know we have some Dayton fans in the chat. Dayton plays tonight as well. Tom um, Dayton. Dayton suffered a couple of really, really bad losses in the last three games. They lost to VCU at home in a game they completely choked away. That was a game that Dayton should have never lost. They were winning that game significantly, going down to the final three minutes, lost that game by one at home, and then lost by seven against a terrible George Washington team over the weekend on Saturday. They've lost two out of three. If Dayton wanted to make the NCAA tournament with an at-large bid, they were going to have to go undefeated in the A-10, and I'm not even sure that would have gotten them there, but they would have at least put themselves in a position to think about it. But now they're going to have to win the A-10 tournament. Um, Cincinnati, without a win against Memphis, they're probably going to need to win the A-10. Not probably. They will need to win the uh, AAC. Kentucky is playing their way back into the tournament. They were way down and out. They're playing their way back in right now. They had a good win against Vanderbilt, but... Kentucky's got to play Kansas this weekend, and those are two really desperate teams. I know we probably won't spend a ton of time on that game because of the AFC Championship, obviously, but Kentucky and Kansas this weekend is a matchup of two desperate teams that needed a, a big win, and it's at Rupp, which is obviously good for Kentucky. So, yeah, yeah. so as far as the local teams go, that's kind of the state of the union on how things are going right now. Uh, we have a newcomer to the chat, Cindy J. Now Cindy. She writes in, I'm a proud Sanex mom and donor. I have no problem with how Sanex distributes their funds. My sons received a world-class education with several sports and extracurriculars to participate in. I'm with you, Cindy. I'm not bad mouth. I didn't bad mouth Sanex. I just made an observation. It was just an observation, one which I have never seen in high school athletics a high school basketball team with eight coaches. I've never seen it. 
my dad just texted me about St. X swimming. He was My dad was a, a very high-level swimming coach back in the day, and uh, he would travel all over the country to, to watch swimming in the Cincinnati Marlins and St. X. Yeah. And uh, he just texted me that he, he enjoyed the segment talking uh, – Talking St. X swimming, the Aqua Bombers. Well, I don't talk much about them. You know, I, I, I mean, I never paid any attention to it. My kids weren't swimmers, and, and, and God bless those that are. One of my dearest friends in the world, his son, local swimmer here in town, uh, was at St. X, came back to his public high school, and he is one of the top five teenage swimmers in the United States of America. He just went down to Greensboro for the, the, the big national meet, finished second down there in two or three events. I mean, he's a, a potential Olympian. So I have some interest, although very small. But my wife grew up with a woman who went to Stanford on a swimming scholarship. And we were living out in Arizona. And so um, we would get invited to all of these weddings of all these Stanford swimmers, including Jenny Thompson, you know, multi-gold medalist and all this kind of thing. And I remember the first wedding of those that I went to uh, I had met one of the women who was a Stanford swimmer, and my wife and I were there, and she says to me, what in the world, literally and figuratively, is in the water in Cincinnati? And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, half the Stanford swim team is from St. Xavier High School. Seems like every year, half the team, a third of the team, two or three members of the team, all come out of that one high school. And then when you look at their track record, it's just insane. So, Cindy, don't, there was no judgment there uh, about, you know, the whole thing. It was an observation. That's it. Boys, I want to get into this, uh, this uh, well, a, a couple of things. I want to start with the Brendan Bean stuff from yesterday. That's the general manager of the Buffalo Bills. Yep. Okay. Almost passive, almost, it hurt him to say it. And I could understand if it hurt him to say it because your team just lost to the Bengals. But he did say they have a really good team, but dot, dot, dot. He said they're in a very different situation than we're in in Buffalo. And they're going to have to pay the piper just like we are right now. And what he meant was he said they got, they said they, they were really bad. And had some bad years to get into a position where they were able to take Joe Burrow, number one in the draft. And then a a year later, take uh, Jamar Chase with a top five pick in the draft. He said, so I wouldn't want to be that that bad to take picks like that. Now, let me ask any sane person out there. Because there are multiple topics I want to split this up into. If you were to go to virtually any NFL team fan base and you said to them, all right, here's the deal. You're going to have a couple of years where you're 4-12, and 12, right? You're 3-13 and 13 in back-to-back years. So you got to suffer through that. But we're telling you ahead of time, and there was no guarantee that when the Bengals were taking Burrow and Chase that it would turn out that way. You thought it would, but no guarantee. But we're guaranteeing you that you're going to get Joe Burrow and take Jamar Chase. Now, Paul, you did not grow up in Cincinnati. You grew up outside of Cincinnati. Yep. 
If you were the fan of fill in the blank, were you a Washington football Wizards fan? No, I've always been a Bengals fan. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think it's safe to say that most people in that fan base, better than 50% of them, would say, sign me up? for the back-to-back bad years, knowing what's coming behind it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, as somebody that is very in tune with the misery that the Washington Commanders and their fans go through every single year because of Dan Snyder, every single one of them would sign up for a franchise-playing, a franchise-changing player yesterday. Every one of them. Doesn't matter. They're so bad. They've had so much misery forever. They've never been relevant. In, the, in my lifetime. Yep. And they had a, a good year or two with RG3. But he got hurt because you're playing on a bad field in a terrible stadium. Every one of them, if you said, hey, have a little bit of a worse year than you already do. And, oh, by the way, you can go get Jamar Chase. Uh, yeah, where do I sign? Okay. Imme- a, immediately. A, 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 and a, an even better point than the one I'm bringing up was raised by Emperor. He says, how about the Dallas Cowboys? As bad as they were, right? Before Jerry bought the team, he said the Cowboys picked Aikman, Smith, and Irvin. And they proceeded to win three of the next four Super Bowls. The Bengals are on the verge of playing their second straight Super Bowl. Still haven't won one yet. So you start with those comments made by the Bills general manager. But I will say this. He brings up a very interesting dilemma here that is going to be facing the Bengals. A lot of people don't want to talk about this yet because they've got the game this weekend. I get it. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But it is a viable point. His point was, we're paying Brandon Allen, uh, uh, forgive me, Josh Allen, a ton of money. No longer on the rookie deal like Burrow is. We're paying Stephon Diggs a ton of money after making the trade with Minnesota. Which, Casey, by the way, as you pointed out, when they made that trade, the pick that was sent to Minnesota was Justin Jefferson. Right. Yeah, they almost had the exact same situation that the Bengals found themselves in. And I think it's a terrible argument that they had, like, in order to get good players that they have to have sucky seasons when Josh Allen was picked seventh overall, you got Josh Allen the exact same way by sucking that you had an opportunity to get a, a pretty high draft pick. Well, he was saying both of them. They were I, both top five. One was but, number one. There's a big difference between number seven and number one. I agree with that. All right, so they had two top five picks in back-to-back years. It's a viable point. I get what you're saying about Allen, seventh pick. So they had to have a pretty bad year to get in that spot. But the Jefferson pick was what, 17, 18, something like that? The Justin Jefferson pick was, let me check. Okay, well, here's the point I'm making and ultimately the most important part of this, there is a legitimate point to what he is raising with what they're having to pay guys. And for Buffalo, by the way, it's only going to get worse because when they structured this deal for Josh Allen, this year he was the 13th highest paid quarterback in the league. Next year he becomes the fourth highest paid quarterback in the league. Huge jump. 
salary-wise and what accounts against a salary cap, okay? Same thing with Diggs. He's making a huge leap for this upcoming season, next season, from what he made this season. You can't keep them all. And there are restraints on organizations if indeed Joe Burrow, and we all agree, okay? Everybody says pay Burrow, and nobody's arguing that point, not for a sliver of a second. But the second that contract, the ink is not even dry. And the same thing with Higgins if you tag him, which they can do at the end of the year. Who's finishing his rookie deal? Chase if you pay him. It begins to hamstring the franchise on who you can keep and who you just have to simply let go. I, I still think it's a terrible argument because there's plenty of opportunity to get other players within the draft, regardless of where you're at. Look at DK Metcalf. He fell to the second round, pick 64. The Bills had a chance to get a number one receiver at any point. Well, they, I, I'm, it, it says it, here, Jared says here that uh, the Jefferson was a fifth pick in the draft. Is that right? No. Fifth pick. No. Justin was, Jefferson was, was 20. He was 20 He's or 22. 20th pick in the draft. Come He's on, 22. Jerry. He's Come 22. on, Jerry. Josh on. Allen was pick seven, if that's what he's talking oh, about. Oh, no, no, no. He probably, you know what he probably means? Oh, fifth, so, yeah. Jared, fifth yeah. receiver selected. Yeah. So there were other guys that were there. And Jefferson right. sitting there. That was the same year as you pointed out that Higgins goes in the second round, right? Correct. Yeah. And I'm just saying, like, that is a terrible, terrible argument because you have to scout. You have to, you know, make the right decision at that pick. The Bengals could have easily gone for Pene Sewell at pick five. They could have easily whiffed on Joe Burrow. Like, he, he could have been a bust. Like, it's – that, to me, making it seem like they got – they they – automatically got those players because they sucked is dumb to me because there's a hundred percent chance that jamar chase was a bust or joe burrow was a bust look how many first top five picks are a bust in the nfl in general it's not about where you're picking it's about scouting talent and building a roster and they just built a roster a little bit sooner than the Bengals. You can't fault them for getting Josh Allen in 2018 and we got Joe Burrow in 2020. Like, we're just in different time slots. But they had a chance. They had their window, right? They they had two years back-to-back picking Josh Allen and then they had another top 10 pick. They had an easy window for them to do the exact same thing the Bengals did. But they just missed it. And it's not our fault that... They have a salary cap that's now strapped because they went ahead and tra- traded for Stephon Diggs when they could have had Justin Jefferson on a rookie deal. Like, Okay, but there is a difference between having two top five picks compared to a number seven pick and then theoretically nine. what would have been, I'm going to call Diggs a number one pick because you were getting a number one pick when you traded for him. He was like getting the first round pick. High first-round pick. Highly productive player, just like that. But the salary part is a big deal. 
Right. I mean, th- there are going to be a lot of hurt feelings around Cincinnati in the next two years about what guys that this fan base has latched onto that are walking straight out the door. It's going to happen. You can mark it down. You can't pay a guy a half a billion dollars. That's one guy. You can't pay one guy $400, $500 million and not take Kit somewhere else. And I think that's the only point he's making. They had to give Allen a contract, and they did, and every team would. And now you got to pay the piper if you're the Bengals moving forward, so enjoy it while it lasts. Hey, can you send uh, my dad a link? I didn't think he was going to be on today. And did you get the pictures, Casey, by the way? Oh, I did. I'm going to put them on now that he's coming on the show. I'll get him on. I didn't think he was going to be on today. He was supposed to be going on some highfalutin tour that only, you know, big leaguers get to go on. The uh, For people listening that have been listening to Marty the last couple of weeks, the picture that Marty sent us, sent Casey, that we're going to flash up on the screen from Disneyland is just un- It's unreal. I know that's a tease, but man, is it good. This is a great point made by purchasing GSS. Said if you don't believe it about paying the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, how many number one receivers has he had the last four years? Devontae Adams, bye-bye. You can't name a receiver on that team. Bring back Randall Cobb. They did. (laughs) No, they did they did. I mean, I just think it's a... I mean, Jesse Bates is walking out the door at the end of this year. You can book that. Now, some might say, well, big deal. And, and maybe you're right. I don't know. And they drafted argument. a guy to try and take his place. So, that's where the Bengals have been extraordinary. Uh, Paul Painter wants to ring, ring, ring the banana phone. We got to get that going. All right. Well, let me know when he is on. I will let you know. Because... Um, he may not be looking for it, though. Uh, let me let me just say, uh, we sent it. Because I want to ask him about this Hall of Fame thing. Uh, because my dad loved Scott Rowland. Anybody that ever spent 10 minutes around Scott Rowland loves Scott Rowland. I mean, he, he was just, he is an awesome dude. Uh, we're not going to put it up there, but um, th- there was a video that somebody in his family took in their kitchen last night. Uh, when he had walked back in the other room, Uh, to take the phone call to receive word that he was elected to the Hall of Fame. And he walked back in the kitchen, and that's where this video starts, uh, of him telling his mom and dad that he had made the Hall of Fame. Dad's in a walker. Uh, Looks like he's sharp as can be, just having a hard time getting around. Mom's bouncing all over the place. That normally tends to be the case. The moms are bouncing everywhere, and the dads are broke down like the rest of us. Um, but it's, 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 you know, you, you think back, the first thing I think of when I see something like that is how many games over there in Indiana where he's from and still makes his home, uh, how many games mom and dad were driving him around. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. Now, when you're Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, you're a Mr. Basketball, right? Oh yeah. That's big league basketball. But you think about all the times driving around, uh, and I just think even with our kids driving around, you know going all over the country uh, for, for uh, you know, sports teams our son has played for um, and been a part of. And, and you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And, and to, to be standing uh, and hugging your son and or daughter, whatever it might be, uh, when you get that kind of phone call, it is an awesome, 
awesome video. Brian says, I like Roland a lot, but nearly every player that was voted on yesterday deserved to be in over him. There were very, very interesting comments made by Jeff Kent yesterday. Uh, I'm going to have to see if I can find these. Kent sent a... um, sent out uh, basically to the Giants PR. He said, the voting over the years has been too much of a head-scratching embarrassment. Baseball is losing a couple of generations of great players that were the best in their era because a couple of non-voting stat folks keep comparing those players to players already voted in and from generations past and are influencing the votes. It's unfair to the best players in their own era and those already voted in, in my opinion. It should be noted that many of Kent, outside of defense, his metrics, even in this analytics world we live in, uh, are highly, highly favorable. But to think, and the best example given yesterday, and I think what Kent is saying is this. For Bill Mazeroski to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. For Bill Mazeroski as a second baseman during his career to be in the Hall of Fame, and for Jeff Kent not to be in the Hall of Fame, is a complete and utter embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. Just go look at the numbers. Don't tell me about war. Don't tell me about, just go look at the numbers. Hits, home runs, doubles, runs scored, runs batted in, okay? I don't want to hear about the defensive metrics on Jeff Kent. I don't. I don't want to hear about him. Now, defense can help you get in, but defense should not be a hindrance for you getting in when you put up the kind of offensive numbers that Kent and others put up. I mean, if you want to argue metrics on defense as well as offense, how did Andrew Jones not get in yesterday? There wasn't a defensive better. There wasn't a better defensive outfielder. He was a center fielder. He was the best defensive center fielder in Major League Baseball for over a decade. He hit 30, 35 home runs every single year, like falling out of bed. And then there's Todd Helton. Let me know if and when my dad shows up. I don't know if he will or not. Um, just to let you know, I think Vach asked for a link, so I sent him. Okay, a link. I, we'll, we'll, then we'll get to him too. But 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 if my dad comes on, we got to get him on. Yeah, yeah, we'll get him um, on absolutely. So, um, but but uh, where was I? If you're a player ever drafted by the Colorado Rockies, you should just tell yourself ahead of time. Based on what we see from the voters, just tell yourself ahead of time you're not getting in a Hall of Fame. It's another area where these guys are penalized because they just happen to get drafted, as Helton did, out of the University of Tennessee, and he gets drafted by the Colorado Rockies, and he plays at mile high altitude. It is a joke. It is a joke. It's an embarrassment that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Now, he might get in sooner or later. He was right there. He was only at 72%. You got to get 75%. But he didn't get it. 
I, I, I just don't. I, I just don't understand who these guys are. I'm going to try to get. I'm assuming that C. Trant Rosecrans from the Athletic votes. And bear in mind now, okay, here's the deal. And here's the kicker, all right? These writers are sent out a list of players. Let's say there's 50 of them. Bronson Arroyo got a vote yesterday, okay? Now, great career, not a Hall of Famer. He knows it. You know it. I know it, okay? But somebody put him in. When I say put him in, when you get this list of, say, 100 guys, 50 guys, whatever it is, okay? What it means is, for each of these guys, is that you, you get, you're able to list 10 guys, okay? So that means that 55%, using Jeff Kent as an example, he got 46% of the vote. So that means that 54% of the guys that voted for the Hall of Fame did not put Jeff Kent in their top 10. Because to get part of the percentage, you only got to be through 1 through 10. You don't get like 5th place votes, 4th place votes, 3rd place votes, all that kind of thing. You just got to be listed in the top 10. So who in the hell are these guys that are voting? Right? Who are they? That means 25% did not put Roland in their top 10. Who did they put in the top 10? All right. We got, um, hold on just a second. Okay. Hold on um, just a second. Can you apologize to Vox for me and ask him if we can do this with him tomorrow? Yeah. Can we do that? Because that's my fault. I reached out to him this morning. He was kind enough to, to jump on and, uh, and I didn't think we were getting my dad on. And th th this is, uh, the Hall of Fame stuff is something that um, sure. certainly is topical. Dad, before we go any further, um, Thank I, you, I know you were a big fan, and I think it's safe to say that anybody who spent 10 minutes around Scott Rowland was a big fan of Scott Rowland, and, and everybody who's ever been around him has to be absolutely elated that he got that phone call. The narrowest of margins, but he's in. Well, it made my day, Tom. I... Uh... And I really, I really was very, very dubious about whether or not Scott was going to uh, get enough votes in order to be a, a new inductee. And I'm thrilled to death that uh, there are other people uh, that recognize what a tremendous uh, talent he was, not only, not only um, as a player on the field, but what he did in the clubhouse. He's one of the greatest leaders that I've ever seen uh, in a baseball uniform. And um I, I'm just thrilled beyond words that the guy is going to be inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame as he should be. You know, Dad, I, 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 listen, I don't want to take anything away from Scott Rowland, but 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 I mean, I, I am so worked up over a guy that I set on record I didn't even like as a guy. We had clashes really? all the time. Listen. We sat here yesterday, and I am in no form or fashion, when Tracy Jones was with us yesterday, I am in no form or fashion comparing Jeff Kent to Joe Morgan. But when you look at the offensive numbers that Kent put up in over 2,000 fewer at-bats, it is mind-boggling the difference outside of stolen bases. I'm not making the comparison between the two. 
But Dad, you know as well as I do how this thing works. You're given a list of people that are eligible for the Hall of Fame. For them to get a percentage, all you got to do is put them in your top 10. Of the guys that are eligible, they have to be on your top 10. You mean to tell me that Jeff Kent, uh, of the top 10, these guys that are voting, 55% of them don't put him in the top 10 for this year? Who is voting on this? You know who's voting on it. The Baseball Writers Association of America are the guys that vote on this. And um, a lot of those guys, I bet you they don't see 15 games a year, if that many. And and the argument that I've made all uh, for the last 35 years, uh, or maybe more than that, is the people who see more baseball than they do are more qualified to vote than most of them. Now, I'm not talking about all of them. Trent Rosecrans is a a voting member, and and Trent goes to the ballpark religiously. He sees a lot of baseball over the course of the year. But a lot of these members of that association don't see hardly any games at all. And yet they are one of two or three or four, however many of them, of the the many who are sent out ballots because they – uh, are members and they quali- they're qualified to vote in their opinion. The guys that see more baseball are the guys that broadcast the games, and they will not let us in for whatever the reason. They won't allow us to be a part of the voting process uh, for whatever the reason. I'd love to know, but uh, I've, I've made this argument for years and years and years. We are more qualified as a group than the the, uh, the goodly number of guys that, that see you know, 5, 10, 12 games a year, and yet they're voting on whether a guy should be in the Hall of Fame or not. Um, Jeff Kent, and and I've said for the last however many years, is the guy who should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame without any question. Um, And I think a lot of that, I think a lot of guys that vote have personal feelings about certain players because they were rude to them or they refused to give them an interview or whatever the case might be. So that plays in, I think, the, uh, to some of the, some of the, approach, uh, the approaches that some of these guys take. Uh, they don't, they, I think you need, to, you need to judge a player based on what his on-field um, capabilities were. Obviously, if there's scandal involved in the guy's life while he's playing, that certainly is a factor. But uh, my, my personal feelings, if I would never have a personal feeling enter into my decision as to uh, whether or not a guy should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I really believe that in some cases uh, that exists because Jeff Kent was not a very nice guy. Very few few people liked him, including teammates. Uh, but as far as uh, what he's did as a player, his numbers certainly deserve to be there without any question whatsoever. I just don't get, Dad, just like I don't get the thing about – no player ever has been a unanimous selection for the Hall of Fame. This is absolute and utter ego. It's out of control ego for these guys or writers that are doing this stuff. Because I don't care if you're talking about Ken Griffey Jr., Tom Seaver, Johnny Bench, whoever it might be. These are some of the highest percentage vote getters. They're in the very high 90s. But nobody 100%. Derek Jeter. That means, again, now, someone just wrote in the chat, there were only 28 guys because of the way they're whittling guys off the list. So you had 28 names. Guys like Tim Wakefield 
and Bronson Arroyo. Okay? You know, good careers. Arroyo had a great career. But it means that of the 28 you're voting on any given year, so that means that at least 1% or 2% of those guys, when they're voting for Ken Griffey Jr. or Johnny Bench, 1% or 2% of those guys are not even putting that player in their top 10 on that given year. I, I mean, you rub elbows with all these big wigs and highfalutin sorts at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Do you ever hear anybody talk about changing this on who's able to vote? I've never heard any inkling whatsoever of uh, of, of the of the possibility that they could change the way things uh, have been since day one. I would imagine. Um, I and again, I, I think that it needs to be looked at. But you see, the thing that, that a lot of people don't understand, Tom, the Baseball Hall of Fame has nothing to do, uh, to my way of thinking, my what little knowledge I have with what the baseball writers do and how they go about doing it. Um, now, I think that, you know, if they're not happy with the the process, they could certainly voice their opinion, and maybe that would have some something to do with maybe starting the ball rolling toward getting the process changed. But um, I've never heard any, any, any conversation whatsoever about, you know, this whole thing has got to be reworked and rechanged to – make it a bit uh, more acceptable uh, that what they what they need to do and what for whatever the reason uh, they're scared to do is to uh, make everybody's vote public. Uh, I saw uh, Tom Hardricourt, you know, the former yeah. Milwaukee beat writer who is now retired. And Tom, Tom is a, is a member of the uh, of the voting group. And he he put took a picture of his ballot and sent it in and and uh and and at the bottom of every ballot they said uh, we do we have the permission to release your the results of your ballot um i don't know how many days after the announcement is made and they two boxes at the bottom of that sentence yes or no and tom's tom typed yes you can release my the, my my voting uh, public when the time comes. They should make that mandatory because I think a lot of guys hide behind that. They they don't put somebody who clearly deserves to be in the top 10 and maybe clearly deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame and they vote no for whatever the reason, but they don't want that released. And I think if you make these guys say, okay, guys, we're going to release every one of them. This is a new rule. Everybody's vote is going to be made public then we'll see how things work out because these guys hide behind anonymity in a minute if they got a chance. And this is the biggest chance that they have in, in, in wielding some measure of power in determining who's going to be in the Hall of Fame and know that they're not going to have to answer the question of why they didn't vote, vote for so-and-so. All right. More importantly, the most important topic of the day, the pictures your bride Amanda sent to us. We had asked and requested that upon your visit to Disneyland in California, which you're a big fan of, much bigger fan of Disneyland, and we said, how about Marty? Everybody, here you go. Well, he's got him on there now, but take a look at this picture. This is like the kind of thing that should be on the cover of, of Walt Disney World magazine, if there is such a thing. I mean, take a look at that. Then from behind with the Magic Kingdom, the castle itself, Cinderella's castle in the background. And we wondered and, about the and my name on the back of it going on. 
There you have That's it. That's right. You got the teacup. Never let it be. <laughs> never let it be said that when you guys ask me to do something, I go the extra mile to entertain those people who watch your show. And so, yeah. you know, to do what we did, what you didn't mention was when you took that shot from behind is my name is on the back of that Mickey Mouse hat in oh script. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I was see? so mesmerized by Check just it that out. shot. What's a famous uh, What's a famous photographer? Annie Leibovitz. Is that who that is? Sure. That looks like something yeah. you don't know. Annie, Annie, Annie showed up to take this picture because it was for <laughs> the, the, the podcast. Correct. Yes. I mean, uh, our, our chat is blowing up. They cannot believe it. Um, someone wants to know if, if, you'll, if you'll save that money from going to the Magic Kingdom and buy the Reds. Uh, l- let me ask you this. Uh, did you, did yes. you ride on the teacup ride? Because that's one of those deals where, you know, it spins around and around and around. You don't want to take the kids on it right after they've eaten or something like that. Did you ride that ride? No, we did not. I don't even know if they have it. They do. That was just a, a replica that uh, we climbed in for picture-taking purposes. But believe me when I tell you that I've been on some hair-raising rides out here, pal. Believe really? me. Really? Like what? Yes. Big Thunder Mountain. Uh, Thunder Mountain. The Thunder yeah. Mountain Railroad, which is a roller coaster. The Matterhorn. The Matterhorn, which the is which is and it's like a bobsled. Tower Terror of the Drop, the Guardians of Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy, which is really big time. Um, we went. Why I've been did you on just have Amanda answer the questions instead of you? Have her come around and answer. Well, I don't the know questions. the name of the damn things. Uh, she 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 just directs me to where I need to go, and I'll be, if I'm a little bit of a ninny, I'll say no, I'm not going to ride that. Or if I feel like I'm adventuresome enough to climb in, I do it. And uh, uh, the first day we were out here Monday, I didn't. I wrote every single thing, without exception, that everybody else did. Well, Old I tell man you what, climbing on some death-defying contraptions. Well, we can't thank you enough for, uh, and Amanda enough for sending us those pictures. Uh, they were lights out. They are lights out. Casey, Paul, anything for the Hall of Famer? Yeah, he's got big plans today. He's got stuff going on. What? What do you got, Paul? Let me hear it. Me? Is your name Paul? I got big stuff going on? No, I said Marty has big stuff going oh. on. Do you have anything you oh, want to Oh, I was going to say, about? I don't got anything going on. No, I got nothing for Marty. Casey? I got to know if you had, uh, what, what type of food do you have there? Did you get the Mickey Mouse ice cream sandwiches, the Mickey Mouse pretzel? Like, what, what, what did you get when you were there what? at Disney? Well, yesterday we had a frozen banana, Those which was awesome. really, really good. Yeah, covered in chocolate, we right? Also have, we also have those, uh, you know, those Rice Krispie treats. Well, they have them out here in, in Mickey's, the shape of Mickey's head, and they're good. Um, but they have these cookies out here. What are those cookies, Amanda? Oh, the popcorn. Yeah, Magic Key popcorn. Uh, churro. 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 Churro brittle. Yeah, those are good. It might Churros. be the best cookies you will ever eat in your lifetime. They are very delicious. So we're, and, I'm a big fan of here. And by the way, Everett keeps coming back, Dad. He keeps coming back, uh, and and he, you know, he feels bad. He wasn't trying to trick you into what kind of guy Dumbledore is. He really feels bad Dumbledore, about. Dumbledore, yes, he was. 
<laughs> he feels bad. He's been writing in all week about no, it. That's too bad. He gets no second chances. I mean, that's cl- he clearly <laughs> tried to trick me. Um, and 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 the, not only that, Tom, the mere implication that Dumbledore was a bad guy is enough to piss anybody off. Well, and here's it kind what of he up, says most me. recently. He says nothing is as hair-raising as the horrible trials that Dumbledore put Harry through. Is that true or false? That is true. However, there were there were reasons behind everything. I'm not going to argue with this clown over at where the Dumbledore <laughs> was a good guy or a bad guy. Uh, you heard uh, you heard Paul the other day talk about they gr- agreed with me that granted he put Harry through some tough situations, but there were always reasons behind what he did, and none of those reasons were nefarious in any sense of the word. Okay, well I, I give it up my to him. He keeps coming back. He's not backing That's down. That's because he team. doesn't have a life. Tell him to get a life. You, he asked you a simple question, which you just acknowledged that is accurate. Did he say that? No, he, no. He just asked you the question: Did the guy not put him in some situations which were dangerous? And, and I said yes. Okay. And I said yes, and there were reasons every time he did that. He loved Harry. There were mitigating circumstances, right, Marty? Mitigating circumstances. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. I think we should. This guy doesn't know what mitigating means. I think we should put together (laughs) a lunch. (laughs) I'm not listening to that shit. All right. Um, I think we need to put together a lunch when my dad gets back, if he ever gets back. He's out there in La La Land and California and and, and who knows. Coming back tomorrow. Okay. Well. I, I think we ought to put together a lunch with my dad and Everett and all of us. You know, That's fine. You get Everett together. to, to uh, see if Everett can come out of the basement of his mom and dad's house to go <laughs> have lunch with us, and, and and we'll we'll make it happen. All right, before we let you go, Brandon, you have something for, for my dad? Well, I need some advice tonight. I'm hosting the LaSalle Stag. I'm seeing it like I've done ah. the last three or four years. I'm not just dressed up for you and, you and uh, Marty. It is with Doug Flynn and Corky Miller I'll be with tonight. Any yes. good stories about either one of those guys? Ask Corky. Um, I just left, you know, Arizona where he was at, at uh, the Reds fantasy camp and the man and I were out there for the week. Ask Corky, is there ever going to be a year as far as the Reds fantasy camp is concerned where his team can beat Brett Tomko's team? <laughs> And he, he and Corky will try to act nonchalant about it, but it grates on his nerves like you cannot believe that he has faced Tomko a number of times and he's not been able to beat him, especially in the championship game. And ask him about that. And and also ask Doug Flynn, is it time to put those T-shirts away? with his picture on him, that we've seen enough of the so-called, he calls himself the glue. Meaning he was the guy that held everything together in the big red machine years. Not Batch, not Rose, not Morgan, not anybody but him. And he has these t-shirts that he wears of himself. And asked him, <laughs> if, isn't it, and, and aren't they getting a little bit tired and, and should you not put them away for all time? The, the only thing I could add to that is if I could get one of those shirts in the next 
four to five hours before I go over there and whip it out in the middle of the monologue. That would be great. Yeah, I don't know where you can Yeah, that won't happen. Cincy <laughs> shirts. That won't happen, Brandon. You know, they have them in Cincy shirts, my wife says. Oh, there you go. Run on down there. You got pals down there. Yeah. All right. Might have to make a trip before we go. There you go. Thanks for the Good advice, luck Marty. On that, call, Brandon. Thanks. That's big time. Let me That's let me time. know how those questions go, uh, go over. Will do. Will we do. Will do for sure. All right, pal. All right, Dad. Well, uh, safe travels. Uh, safe travels back to Cincinnati, uh, and then as soon as you get off the plane, you're jumping on uh, on board the Reds caravan, right? Friday morning at eight o'clock. Yeah. And who are the one or two big names you're traveling with? David Bell. Who? No, David Bell's not on my bus. Okay. Um, anybody else? Nick Crawl will be there. Yeah. Um, Jim Day will be there. Um, Chris Sabo. Chris Sabo will be there. Uh, and a couple of Reds players whose names I'm not aware of right now. Current well, players. Tell, tell all those guys we said hello. And one final footnote, just for the record. Um, Everett says, Tom, thanks for standing up for me. And he says, I moved out of my mom's basement 10 years ago. <laughs> God bless you, Everett. God Amen. bless you, buddy. We're going to make that lunch yes, happen. Dad, safe travels. Thanks for the time. All right, Tom. Good luck to you guys. All right. We love you. We'll see you later. See you, Marty. Love you. So there you go. I mean, you got it all covered, right? Always. Amanda Always. in the background telling him what rides they were on. I mean, he's still mentally with it, but I mean, come on, man. You know, the one thing come I forgot on. to ask was, did he go to Universal to ride the Harry Potter rides? Oh, you book it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he I didn't loves even, uh, yeah. Universal. I That's his favorite spot. Yeah. Yeah. Was, would, would Dumbledore be like one of the characters, I mean, walking around uh, like you see Minnie or Mickey or? I didn't see, when I went, I didn't see Harry Potter characters. You did not? Around. No. It's hard to believe that wouldn't be on there, right? I, I'm surprised be. you're not a Harry Potter guy, Tom. Uh, you know, I, I, I Even maybe, maybe I will be because, I mean, it, you know, it's sort of the supernatural stuff going on, right? Kind of that sort of thing. Bit. You know, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it more fantasy. I mean, clearly fantasy, but, 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 but what's more the genre of what you would call it? It's not science fiction. A little no, science fiction. Yeah, I mean, it's fantasy. It's fantasy. Fantasy, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a big Stephen King guy. And so he'll drift into that, you know, kind of thing uh, frequently. So may maybe I would like it. Maybe I'll give it a chance. I'm a big reader. I'm in the middle of some rather deep books right now, though. Uh, much deeper than my intelligence level. Mm. Very deep. Like? I, I, I am reading the story of Martin Luther. A fascinating... I, look. Not picking sides if there is such a thing because there's only one side on this deal but it, the, the, his his life story is a mind-boggling story and what he went through during the quote-unquote reformation uh, reformation and, and it, it's 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 an amazing story anyway way above my my intelligence level so like lord of the rings are you guys big lord of the rings guys oh yeah i, I mean that's similar to harry potter right kind of yeah total fantasy right with, with great stories and villains and protagonists and antagonists, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Harry Potter, I think, is more um, starts off as a more lighthearted um, teenage story that then turns into a more serious and has more dark tones 
towards the end of the series because the the purpose and the 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 genius of jk rowling she made these books for for teenagers that then grew up with the series and when they became adults it was more fitted for them okay. it was more fitted That's for them i never heard so that before it, okay so i i really enjoyed her story a right. lot Right. I really enjoyed the Harry Potter series just for okay. that alone. Okay. Yeah. All right. That that's really interesting. I'm not a I'm not a Lord of the Rings every day. No. Um, yeah. Jolly Jolly from out in La La Land. He's out there. Uh, he says, and he's a Hamilton native. He says, by the way, that Harry Potter does walk around. Hmm. Right. Well, let's all take a chatterbox trip out there. We'll bring Everett along. <laughs> what, what is wrong with Sir Boy Wonder? Nothing, Tom. What, what, what is that last thing he says there? I have no idea. Is Hank Hill, is, that, is Hank Hill the guy from, uh, what was that show? That animated show. Wasn't that the? Oh, wasn't King that of the from Hill? Like, King of the Hill? King, King of the Hill. Okay. It's a great All show. Right. Okay. We King might, of the Hill. We might have Vach on last 10, 15 minutes There's here. There's a chance Vach. There's a chance. There's a chance Vach comes back well, in. Well, I here. hope he comes back because, uh, you know, I got to get on him. I got to get on him about his guy. Guy Dak. Hey, by the way, before we get to him real quick, I got to get this off my chest because I, I, this has sent me off the reservation. You got the Alabama NIL thing? I do. I've All got right. it pulled up. This was tweeted out today by an Ohio State fan. And as all of you know, I am a big Ohio State fan, football fan, okay? I am. Guilty as charged, all right? This was sent out, and it said, a new NIL, quote-unquote, facility was being built and opened at the University of Alabama. And the question was posed at the end of that, how in the world can Ohio State compare and compete with this? I got to tell you, I almost lost my mind. If there is one school in the, I'm going to say a second school, okay? The two schools that are built for NIL more than any others, and you could throw Georgia in as well because they're so close to Atlanta and all the money in Atlanta. The three schools that have no excuse for not being at the very top of the NIL as far as money is concerned are Ohio State, USC, and Georgia. They are three of the most prolific college football programs in the United States. And in Ohio State's case, more than USC, which is a private school, and more than Georgia, which primarily most Georgia grads tend to stay, and it's true for the SEC in general, most SEC alumni of their schools really stay put in the southeast part of the United States of America. Ohio State University is a massive public school with hundreds of thousands of alumni literally from coast to coast. If you took the straight wealth of Ohio State alumni compared to Alabama, compared to USC, compared to Georgia, it would be from here to Mars away. I'm not suggesting every Alabama grad is, is, is not successful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying pure numbers. 
For anybody to believe Ohio State should not be right on the very top, at the very top of this NIL thing, plus it's one of the top 30 largest cities in America, by the way. All right, I'm off my rant. My <laughs> man, Vox Lombardi. Howdy, good morning. How y'all doing? On short notice, my man. Hey, you wearing black for the Cowboys? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, you know, getting ready to go to the gym, get a little workout before I get the rest of my day going. But I saw your DM and I was like, all right, cool. I'll come chill with Tom and, you know, uh, let y'all relish in my, you know, cowboy loss. But then I tune in like, nope, dad's here. Got to leave. And, and and look, just I already think dads don't get enough respect in general. So I had to respect, you know, the movement of, you know, content around. So everything's cool. 100 percent. Good morning. I appreciate it. Good morning to you. Now, 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 now walk me through, um, Vach, the reaction down there. You know, I, I can listen to the, you know, the, the national talking heads, and some of them love sure. the Cowboys, some of them hate the Cowboys, and there's some in between. W- what's the feel of that game? Because that was a winnable game against sure. the 49ers for Dallas on Sunday. Sure. Um, you know, well – if you had to guess what the field would be, you would you would probably be right. You know, every you know everybody's uh, calling for heads to roll. Everybody needs to be fired. This person, this this this, and I don't really get into the emotional reaction side of it, right? You know, I try to stay neutral. I started, you know, and I think it, it, it came from playing and coaching football. Like when I played football, I was much more emotional about football. And then I started coaching and I just started looking at it as, all right, this, this happened, you know, we either move on or we don't uh, type of deal from it. So when we lose to the 49ers, I immediately go to, all right, logically what happened here, right? I'm, you know, but I'm content creator guy too, right? So I got to, you know, stand in front of the podium and talk to my audience. Be like, all right, guys, this, 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 and this. But the weird thing is there's people that want you to break furniture in your house. You know what I mean? Like, like, like there's people that want you to, you know, pull down this TV that costs a lot of money that I mounted on the wall myself. And they want me to break. I'm not doing all that over no win or no W. I love my football just as much as you do. I love my Cowboys just as much as you do. But, you know, I'm just not in the business of firing people that did their job well this year. I'm not in the business of, you know, breaking things that that cost money for your entertainment. I'm not so upset that I'm not watching. I'm not boycotting the Cowboys next year. It's been a lot of nonsense. And, you know, people can feel however they want to feel. But just me in particular, I just don't want to feel like those people. All right, but, but let me ask you this, Box. It's been 27 years since the Cowboys have played in an NFC championship game. Everybody knows Jerry Jones is the general manager of the team. Uh, I, I, you know, and he's the owner of the team, so he can have whatever title he wants. Does something need to change, though, there in Dallas? Does, does something? I mean, obviously, they're not going to get rid of Dak Prescott. But does something, and they're not going to get rid of Mike McCarthy. But does something need to change? Well, there are many people that think you need to get rid of Dak and Mike McCarthy, but um, sure, I think uh, I think things can get kind of politicky sometimes. But um, that 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 may or may not be a thing that happens with most teams. You know, I like I cover I cover the Cowboys close. I don't cover everybody closely, uh, so I don't know how much money politics get involved in things, right? But if I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, or if if I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? Let's just say the the non-Cowboy fan perspective. If you watch a Cowboys game, you go. Man, Tony Pollard is much better than Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott makes much more money than Tony, but 
Tony looks like he's clearly the better back, right? Why does Zeke have to be the guy that starts? Or why must Zeke get his uh, 12 or so carries? You know, why must we take carries away from the better guy? Like, things like that will kind of happen. Um, for the most part, I don't think this team does a bad job of, you know, putting talent on the roster. Uh, I think this this team just kind of – or Jerry Jones in particular is what you was asking. I, I, I do think there's this, this loyalty issue. You know, there's this thing about, hey, this is my guy, so we're going to run with that guy. This was a Jason Garrett thing for the while. And I – I do think Jason Garrett was a guy that had his place, right? He can get you to an eight and eighteen, but then you have to get to that next level, right? Jason Garrett was a, you know, was a head coach for the Cowboys way too long because of loyalty. I think a guy like Kellen Moore, just a guy that they're super loyal to. Kellen Moore does a great job. And if Kellen Moore takes a bad offense, he can make it a good offense, right? But you'll see what these other teams can do. You know, you'll you'll see what these Shanahan's can do, what these Mike McDaniels can do, right? And you'll go, man, if my team had one of them, right? What can we do? Like, like, what would that look like on my team? So everyone, you know, right now, most people in Cowboy, I would say 75% of Cowboy Nation right now, they said, oh, my God, Dak Prescott is terrible. He's garbage. He should be cut. And I do think that's ridiculous. But I do think that Dak has capped out with Kellen Moore. Uh, why do I feel like that? Because I've seen offensive coordinators take quarterbacks that are worse than Dak Prescott and make them do things that are impressive. Uh, and then they'll, and then as a team building type of situation, right? You know, like if the, these, these, these teams that are in the top four right now, they acknowledge that they're good teams, but then they made necessary steps to make themselves better teams, right? So if we're the Bengals and we go, all right, we got Joe Burrow. What do we, we, we play a season. Then we go, okay, well, he needs somebody to throw to. You want the dude that you just won this, this college football championship with? Cool. We'll get him them. Um, and then we'll go, all right, now what? We play another season. All right. This offensive line thing here, right? Cool. Let's address conversation and do that. I think the Cowboys need to kind of do that. Right. Uh, I do think Dak Prescott is a, is a top 10 quarterback. I say he's top five, but you know, people down on Dak right now. So I can't say that publicly. I think Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback. Just like people would say that Josh Allen or Justin Herbert are these top guys. Right. But you can't run Noah Brown out there as your wide receiver number two and be like, all right, let's play against the Eagles. Let's play against the 49ers that they were a good team but they weren't satisfied. Let's go get Christian McCaffrey. Let's bring in some other guys. Oh, the Eagles are a good team. Let's go add Chauncey Gardner-Jones. Let's go add A.J. Brown. The yep. Cowboys are a good team, but instead of adding players to compete with these other good teams that are adding players, we go, oh, Noah Brown's cool. We don't want to spend too much money. You know, we don't want to trade that second-round pick to go get a Jerry Judy. Let's just stick with T.Y. Hilton, you know, things of that nature. So I do think Dak Prescott is good enough to elevate players, uh, but – Regular season is different from postseason because everybody gets much, much better in the postseason. So, yeah, he can elevate players, but he can't elevate Noah Brown or Zeke or Dalton Schultz enough to beat the number one defense in the National Football League, if that makes sense. I, 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 think, I think it's a fascinating point you make. And, and, I, and, and we were talking about this earlier today. I, I think what happens with some of these teams, and, and look, Dak got the big deal, uh, and Bengals fans are going to be facing this uh, probably this offseason of what happens when, when you now all of a sudden have to pony up for the big guys, right? And all of a sudden you got to pay, you know, I mean, Burrow's going to get more money than Mahomes. Uh, and and sure. then how does that start and affect the rest of the roster? All right. You watch games all 22. I don't know how much yes. you watch the AFC. Uh, maybe you watch both. So you tell me going into this weekend after uh, we all put our head on the pillows Sunday night, what two teams will be playing in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona? 
Well, if I could be honest with you, Tom, this is where my fandom kind of comes into play. My team ain't in. I hope they cancel the Super Bowl. I hope they don't have it. I hope it snows in. I hope there's a problem with the electricity in the stadium. I hope I hope everybody, everybody, there, there's a glitch in the ticket master system and everybody gets the wrong time and date. I hope that Rihanna got something better to do and she can't have a halftime show. I hope the referees go on strikes. Or I, I care nothing about what's happening with the next. Uh, with the with the next two weeks or so. Come on, Vod. You're a football doing, guy. Come on. Come on. Come content, on. But we're doing content, so I guess I can have this conversation with you. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> Joe Burrow, in my personal opinion, I was around watching him, right? I was in I was in high school when um, Tebow came out. I was around for a lot of these guys, man. Joe Burrow is the best college quarterback I've ever seen in my life, man. And I'm like, man, that dude going to be the GOAT one day. I'm like, that dude is just like he doesn't even, and it's funny because you know normally people lean into the arm talent guys, and they're like, "Hey man, if I got a big arm talent guy, I can live with it." Joe Joe Burrow isn't arm talent guy like the rest of the arm talent guys are, right? But Joe is up here guy, and I hate the up here guys because that's when we start to say things like, "Oh well, is he gonna be the next Tom Brady type dude?" Nah, Joe Burrow isn't up here guy like Tom Brady's up here guy. Like Tom Brady does the safe up here guy. Joe is more dangerous. You know, shoulder up guy. Joe, Joe is more find you and attack you guy. You know, I, you know, we we don't get a whole bunch of dink and dunk from Joe Burrow. We get a lot of find the scrub in Joe Burrow, and that and that team is is kind of built that way. All right, this is your deficiency. We're gonna go right at that, and we're gonna keep doing it and keep doing it. Even if you find a way to stop, it, we're gonna just keep doing it and keep doing it, keep doing it. And I just love that about Joe, and he did that in college. He's doing it now. Um, and the more I just watch Joe Burrow, man, I'm just like, you know, that dude, that dude is just on his way to be like the guy. And we're going to have to have this, this conversation because I still think Pat Mahomes is the guy, but at some point, the one-on-one -on -one record is going to matter at some point. And I don't think Joe's lost to Pat at all before. No. Uh, and you know, this ain't just like regular season stuff. It's like big game stuff also. So that chiefs defense leaves a lot to be desired like they got dudes but the defense as a whole leaves a lot they just kind of lean on can we score more than you joe burrow can score with anybody you know especially if jamar chase and, and company is healthy um joe burrow can score can you know he can put up points you know better than you know with the you know with the best of them right and pat mahomes is kind of going through this little ankle thing we'll see what that looks like but uh even with a healthy ankle joe burrow has beat up on pat so that's kind of a thing there. So from the AFC side, I got uh, Joe and company. Uh, I don't have a I don't have a score. I don't have a number. Should be a big game. Okay. Should be big, okay. uh, big, big uh, points put up. But uh, I got Joe on this side. Not just saying that because I'm on your show. People can watch my show, and I'm a huge fan of Joe. Um, <laughs> and on the on the NFC side, uh, I hope they cancel that game in particular because I don't like neither team on either on either of those sides. But I think Jalen Hurts, and, and listen, man, this this may be cowboy. You know, people will say, oh, Vaj, you're a cowboy hater, but I don't like the 49ers either. I ju I'm just waiting on that time to where Jalen Hurts shows himself and shows who he really is, right? Shouts out to the Eagles organization, right? Because they've done a fantastic job of, you know, putting him in place and, you know, surrounding him with, with what, they got 16 All-Pros over there, 16, uh, 16 um, Pro Bowlers and, you know, four All-Pros, five All-Pros, something like that. They've done a fantastic job of surrounding Jalen Hurts with, you know, fantastic talent, right? But whenever you put pressure on Jalen Hurts, you know, whenever you play super defense with Jalen Hurts, he tends to look a little, a little different. And I know Eagles fans are celebrating beating up on Daniel Jones and the Giants, but that's that's Daniel Jones and the Giants. To be yep. fair, I just 
I just saw firsthand what that 49ers defense was. And at first, let me just give respect to 49ers fans, right? Because at first, as a Cowboy fan going into the 49er game, I was like, <laughs> you saw what Jerry Stidham did to them boys. You saw David Blau and Cole McCoy. They haven't seen anybody like Dak Prescott and company. And then they roll in uh, versus Dak Prescott and company, and they put hands all over Dak Prescott and company. So just in my mind, I think that defense is enough. I don't, I don't know if the world's going to be ready for a rookie quarterback to be in the Super Bowl or whatnot, but that dude's going to look like a rookie at, at some point. So it just comes down to the better coaching staff, in my in my personal opinion. I've just seen Shanahan do fantastic things uh, with his offense, and D'Amico Ryan's going to be a head coach one day. He's doing fantastic things with his defense, so I'll just go Bengals and 49ers. All right, well, you know, around here, that would be the third time uh, the two franchises will play in a Super Bowl, and the Bengals are 0-2 against the Niners. So I think a lot of people around here – would be rooting for that. Botch, you have a, a go throw around those tires. Guy your size, you probably don't lift weights. You probably just pick up those tractor tires and throw them around a little bit, right? Well, I um well I I am country strong. I'm from Mississippi, so I did just do a lot of chopping wood and bale and hay and you right. know, roping cows and things. So I am naturally strong. But I go um I go to Dojo, man, I go to Muay Thai. So I go and punch bags and people. I, I punch and kick bags and people, and that's how I get my uh cardio in. But I do lift weights though. My man, Botch, I'm, I'm staying far away. He's all the way down there. I'm staying away. He's punching people, man. I mean, look at the size of that cat. So are, are you, are you like, before I let you go, are, are you, you got a little cowboy in you? Did you just say you were roping calf? Very, very young, like very, very, very young. When I was in my youth, Natchez, Mississippi, uh, you know, you know, we had farms out there. We had a lot of farm land. I had a BB gun. I had a 22 when I was very young, and I was just outside. So yeah, we would do a lot of a lot of farm work. Uh, you know, I didn't do it into my adulthood because we had moved on. We moved to a different neighborhood and things like that. But I, I did build a lot of my natural body uh, outside. You're the man, Vach. I don't do I rodeos. I don't do rodeos now. You know, just I'm a little different. I work for the volume. I'm a little fancy. I like sushi now. So I don't really do a lot of those things. But just the the but the but the ingrained country stuff in me though, I still fish. I would love to go hunt. When I you know, when I go back home sometimes, you know, I will I will do those things, but uh I'm not roping cows and goats anymore. All right. All right. Vach, we thank you for your time, my man. You're the best. Appreciate it. Salute. My Have man. My man Vach. That's our guy. Right? Yeah, he's awesome. He, is, he really is awesome. He is fantastic. He's smart. He knows his stuff. He's got the Bengalis V-Niners. How would this city react to that? I think everybody would really be fired up. I think 90-plus percent of the Bengal fans, and I have nothing to base that on, I think 90-plus Bengal fans want the 49ers be Bengals for a third time to exercise the demon, as we like to say. The rocket ship. It would be fun. Um, all right, anything else before we go here? We got a cherry on top. All right, we got a cherry on top. Presented yeah. by United Dairy Farmers. What is it? This one, this one's kind of wild. I saw this yesterday. We've got box lunch coming up. But a Zen moment. So this one comes from Twitter. NFL photographers will go to near any length to get the right shot. And this comes, uh, I got the tweet from Front Office Sports. This is a video from a photographer at the Minnesota Vikings game. Don't know her name. She's on TikTok. Look at this. She's walking the catwalk. How cool is that? She's walking the catwalk to look down and get a picture. I mean, how cool is look that? Look at that. 
I mean, do they let people do that normally? I can't imagine. Like, this must be a special occasion for her to be able uh, to get well, up there, right? Probably a team photographer would yeah. be my guess, right? Usually, you have to be a you have to be a team employee to be able to do stuff like this. Usually, I don't know what the rules are in the NFL, but generally, when you have facilities like that, there's there's legal stuff you got to be able to do to walk a catwalk. That is really cool. That's crazy. Really cool. Thank you for that cherry on top. That was nice. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we're shifting gears to uh, the box lunch. All the guys, a pride of Hamilton, Ohio, Trace and Reed. What's happening, boys? How's it going, Tom? Doing well, Tom. How are we doing? Boy, I, there, there were a lot of enthusiasm there from Trace. We yeah, are. He's we're doing well. Yeah. Not a Debbie Downer. Sounds like bit. my wife in the morning. Hey, what's happening? Good morning. <laughs> Tom, I got a question. You were just talking about the 49ers. And me and Trace were just talking about this right outside the door, right before we walked in. If the 49ers had top 10, top 5 quarterback, which they clearly don't with Brock Purdy. Yeah. They had a top quarterback. Would they be thought of as one of the greatest NFL rosters of all time? I mean, we're talking George Kittle's probably a Hall of Famer. Trent Williams is a Hall of Famer. Nick Bosa's well on his way to becoming a Hall of Famer. Fred Warner might become a Hall of Famer at linebacker. And who knows? Christian McCaffrey might keep it going. And, and he might be Hall Debo. Of Debo Samuel's great. All pro guy. If they had a quarterback, are we looking? Trace made this joke last week as a combination of the 85 mm -hmm. Bears and the, the yeah. greatest show on turf Rams. But they have a roster that's they pretty comparable. There's no, well, I mean, what, what do they want? 11, 12 in a row? Yeah. I mean, it's a big-time team. Right, they've got a great coach. With a third-string quarterback. Right. Third-string quarterback. Now, they've gotten creative, and, you know, and they've had the luck of playing some really bad teams, uh, defensive teams. That was not the case last week. Um, we're we're going to find out, because if you're going to make a statement like that, and I'm not saying that you even implying that is off-base, because, I mean, the, what they're doing, right? they're backing it up, right? It, 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 I mean, they haven't lost forever. They haven't lost in two and a half, three months, neither the Bengals for that matter. But, hmm. but it's amazing what they've done. Um, but after watching that game last week, they can be beat. The, the team that's going to beat them is going to be a good team, not the Raiders, where it was the first time and the only time where uh, Brock Purdy had to come from behind in the fourth quarter to win a game. Yeah. Raiders are terrible. The, 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 for them, I, I, I think that whole thing this week and for Philadelphia, if Philadelphia can jump on them, like, say, the Bengals did the Bills last mm -hmm. week, and that's easier said than done. Yeah. But if there's a team capable, it's Philadelphia. Because, I mean, they were the best-looking team last week of anybody that's in the Final Four now. Looks like a wagon. I mean, when Hurts is healthy, they can run it, they can throw it, they get after the quarterback. Uh, if If... The way Philadelphia runs a ball, if they get a lead, that's the recipe for beating the Niners. It's going to be hard-nosed over there in the NFC, well, that yeah. conference championship. That'll game. be smash-mouth game. As that's smart as Vach is, and as much as I like his oh, takes, yeah. how, why is it so difficult for him to see that Dak is not the guy? I just think he's a Dak guy. But at, at what point do you watch a game, like last week, and you have a rookie quarterback on the other side and Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy is very serviceable. I'm not on – I think Casey's even backed off of his take a little bit. I think, I think he can play. I'm not I, – I really don't think he's a bad quarterback. But you watch a rookie quarterback on the other side. And in that game, when I'm watching it, 
And I tell myself, I think I'd rather have Brock Purdy on my team than Dak. It's one like Dak's mindset in my in my opinion is oftentimes you gotta know the nature of the game. You gotta understand that sometimes punting the football is an okay thing to do. And when your defense is getting three and outs, three and outs, three and outs, yep. it looked like they were just it looked like the 49ers might not be able to get more than two first downs on any drive. You're right. And what does Dak do? He goes out there and he gives them the ball right there on the 30-yard line. The defense stands up. They hold him to a field goal. And he gives the ball away again. And he doesn't, not one time in that game that I ever think, if they didn't have Dak Prescott, they weren't going to make that play. I'm with you. It is saying you have a top five quarterback. I thought you brought up a great point, though, about, about what other teams have done when they have their elite guy. I thought that was a really interesting point. Uh, because, let's face it, since the day Joe Burrow got here, had they not, right, drafted T. Higgins, mm -hmm. had they not drafted, after a crappy year, Jamar Chase, mm -hmm. had they not gone out and spent all the money on their offensive line, okay, Joe Burrow's a great quarterback, but he's, the, the chances are very strong he didn't play in back-to-back -back AFC championship games. I, you say that, but then I would counterpoint by saying you can't have everything. Dak can't have these elite wide receiver skill, wide receiver guys, and have an offensive line like he's had. He has all. He has a lot of time in that pocket. It's not like it's not like he gets pressured a lot. He has an incredible offensive line, and I think he has some pieces that are okay. And I would also remind people, and I'm not saying Jamar Chase is a nobody when I say this. But he got hurt, and what did the Bengals continue to do? That's right. T. Higgins was out for a few weeks. What did they continue to do? Right. There was a week where they played the Browns, I think, where Joe Burrow had literally none of those quote-unquote star-wide receivers out there, and they continued and to Hayden win. And Aiden Hurst was hurt. And Aiden Hurst was hurt. So yes, I would just say, Taylor. if you give Joe Burrow the same amount of time that Dak Prescott gets in that pocket, it doesn't matter who's running routes. There's enough guys in the league that are good enough wide receivers that if you put the ball on the money, they're going to catch it. Well, I, I think you know, I, I think he was talking about not only talent, but I think he was also talking about the coaching. And and the Kellen Moore thing is where he made specific point there that they that they've run their course. I think anybody who's watched the Cowboys, and I'm a huge Ezekiel Elliott fan, and all he did at Ohio State, but for him to be getting the ball these last two years, twelve to fourteen to fifteen times in a game, it you may as well punt. Yeah, I mean seriously. No doubt. He would not be getting that number of carries for any team in the league mm. in 2023. Why is he still getting them for the Dallas Cowboys? He had great years. He was a great player, best back in the league, but not anymore. Pollard should have been getting 25 to 30 carries a game if he could withstand that, let's say 20 to 22 every game. They, I mean, to me, they, they basically punted on plays, and it breaks my heart to say it. But they punted on plays this year by giving the ball to Elliott 12 to 15 times a game. When I watched that game Brian last Brian Callahan week, wouldn't do that. Zach Taylor wouldn't do it. That's fair. And, I, and I'm not trying to kill Dak. I just don't think that Dak's one of those guys where I look at him and I think he's the difference in this game. He's the, the he's when I When I watch Joe yeah. Burrow play, there's times where I'm like, if the Bengals don't have Joe Burrow, they have no chance. Yeah. And I know you're comparing Dak to Joe, and you could argue that Joe's the best quarterback in the league, and you compare Dak to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and all these elite-level guys. 
But at the end of the day, I watched Dallas play against the Niners, and the only thing that I noticed in that game that was relatively different was one quarterback was was turning the ball over, yep. not making plays, and the other quarterback, like him or not, was just being within a system, and he made just enough plays to let their team to be able to kick just enough field goals to win the game. I, and that's – and it's I, like – I'm not a, I'm not a Dak I, guy. And that doesn't mean I want to kill Dak. It's just like at some point – you gotta. I think at some point you gotta rip the bandaid off and say maybe, maybe we need to move forward. You know, I mean. Well, Jerry Jones doubled down after the game. Well, he always doubles he doubled down. down. He said, "Hey, look, you know, he was asked about you know guy who was nine months removed from being the last pick in the draft, compared to a seven-year starter who's supposed to be elite." And Jerry, right after the game, uh, he gets more pub in his press conferences after the game than the head coach and the quarterback. And right after the game, uh, he says, hey, look, if we played him 10 times, I'd take my chances with Dak to win eight or nine of those games. Well, they only play one time. Right. All right, boys, what do you got coming up? Excuses. Who's got them? We'll talk Not about us. it. No excuses. No excuses. None. And you win. Casey, Paul, Brandon, good luck tonight on the LaSalle Stag. It's a big league event. Yeah. I've done that event. They do a heck of a job over there. You're a little sour guy, though. Yeah. That's even more big league. All right, time for box lunch. Take it away, boys.